Well, you've heard it already, everybody. We can all go home after those wonderful children reading the scriptures. What a beautiful thing. Promises. Promises, promises, promises. Christmas time is a season of so many promises. It makes us think of the hope that's in our hearts. It makes us think of the longing in our hearts. And it makes us think of all that we truly long for. But really, for children, it begins as a season of promises, as in, you promised you'd get me that. It's amazing how quickly children catch on, even without, uh, maybe despite all the efforts of parents. Jonas, our three-year-old, this is the first sort of Christmas where he's really aware. And our girls are, you know, at the age now where they're beginning to think about, okay, maybe we can buy something for someone else, you know. And, uh, and, but Jonas, he's three, and all he can think about at the moment is what Christmas is going to mean for him. And so the, the last couple of days, he's woken up in the morning and says, is it time to open presents yet? And mind you, there are no presents under the tree. We're smarter than that. We know not to leave things wrapped and, you know, for someone to shake and grab. Adults, something funny happens to us, I think, along the way as we grow older. Maybe as adults, uh, we're tired of being disappointed or getting socks or a tie or, you know, something else again. And, uh, and so I don't know how it is in your home, but at least in our home, it's, it's, it's come to the point now where uh, we sort of buy ourselves something and then ask the other to wrap it up. I confess, guilty. And, and, I, and I, I just wonder how long before we start registering for Christmas gifts. You know, hey, thank, hey Merry Christmas, uh, we'd love to celebrate you. By the way, I'm registered at Bed Bath & Beyond and Banana Republic. There's something in us that we love the hope of a promise, but we're afraid of a promise because it also means there's a chance to be disappointed. We love the hope of a promise because a promise pulls hope out of us. It makes us believe that something better is possible. It makes us believe that maybe there's a new and better hope. And so a promise pulls hope out of us. Yet after enough disappointments, it's difficult to really believe in a promise again. Our text this evening comes from just a little bit later in the second chapter of Luke's Gospel, after the passage that our children read to us tonight, or recited for us. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We'll pick it up in verse 25. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the great comfort and hope of restoration. Boy, isn't that what we're all waiting for? And so here's Simeon, he's waiting for this, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Or if you'd like, he would not see death until he had seen Yahweh's Messiah, God's King. Maybe another way to make these familiar words come alive to us, to take on fresh resonance. Simeon had been promised that he wouldn't see death until he had seen God's chosen King, the one who would save and bring hope and consolation and restoration. Simeon had been promised a great hope. And when he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus 
to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all your peoples. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. This song, traditionally in the church, you know, you think of Mary's song, it's called the Magnificat. You've got Zacharias' song, the Benedictus. You've got the angel song, not sure what that's called in Latin. And then you've got this one, Simeon's song, and it's called the Nunc Dimittis. Four songs that Luke records in his story of Christmas. This is the last one. This song follows the Hebrew trajectory, the Hebrew template rather, for psalms of praise. If you are a student of the psalms or maybe even a casual reader of the psalms, maybe you've noticed that in a, in, in a particular kind of psalm, the psalm of praise or thanksgiving some call it, it follows this template. It restates a promise, it describes the fulfillment, and then it provides the praise. Promise, fulfillment, praise. Promise, fulfillment, praise. That's a good rhythm for worship. The promise of God, the fulfillment He's given, and the praise that comes out of us. And here Simeon is holding this baby, singing his song of praise. Now for all of you that are parents in the room, you understand the hopefulness that you feel when you hold a baby for the first time. Or maybe when you're first parents, first time parents, the sheer terror that you feel. Oh Lord, can we raise this child? We tend to look at a baby and feel hope because a baby offers us in some ways promise. Maybe we look at a baby and we say, oh child, maybe the world will be kinder to you. Maybe you will find the world to be a better place. Maybe you will find a life that is better than the life that we had. And you hold up a child as a symbol of promise. But Simeon is not holding up Jesus as a symbol of promise, but as a sign of fulfillment. For Simeon, Jesus is not a symbol of promise, but a a, a signal of fulfillment. Jesus meant that a promise had been kept. A promise that He had been given. If you think about it, Simeon had been promised something very particular. He'd been promised that he would not die until he had seen God's saving King on earth with his own eyes. But really, I suspect that there was something behind Simeon's song that was more than just his promise, that promise to him that had been fulfilled. It was really the promise to all of Israel, wasn't it? The promise that all Israel had been waiting for. God, are you going to abandon us now? God, have we sinned too much? Have we been too unfaithful? God, is this when you'll turn your back? Or will you actually do what you said you would do? Will you actually send the saving one, the Messiah, the anointed, chosen, saving King who would represent us? But actually, Jesus is even bigger than that. He's not just the signal of fulfillment of a promise given to Simeon, not just a fulfillment of a promise given to Israel, but a symbol of a promise, of a fulfillment of a promise given to the world. 
Listen to what Simeon's song says. He says, look, it's a light for the revelation for the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. Jesus represents in Simeon's prophetic vision revelation moment. He says, look, I see it. This is the Lord's Christ. This is Yahweh's Messiah. This is God's chosen King. Not just for Israel, but for the whole world. And the world rejoices. Even though it did not know it yet. Maybe the question for us this evening is, when you think about this great promise and this great fulfillment, maybe the gap that comes between promise, fulfillment, and praise for some of us tonight is the reality of disappointment. And maybe it's fair to ask ourselves, what have you been promised? What do you think you have been promised? And some of you might reflect back to promises made at a wedding altar that now seems oh so long ago. Maybe others of you think of a promise that came with moving to a new place or of taking a new job or some young people, some of you young people, maybe the promise that attached itself to finally finishing college. And doors were supposed to open and jobs were supposed to come lining up. And you're saying, wait, I thought I was promised this. Oh, I thought that this held so much promise for me. And yet, it feels a little hollow. And maybe if we're honest, even when something wonderful comes true, it still has a ring of hollowness to it. Even when something promised is fulfilled. When you unwrap the present and it is that thing, there's still a little bit of hollowness afterwards. Could it be that as good as all of those things are, they're surface level promises? Maybe even surface level hopes. Could it be that God knows that deep down inside, what we really long for, what we really ache for, what we really need is something far deeper than that? Something deeper than even a relationship or a job, or a career path, or a success, or another notch in the belt. Something that none of those things in the end can fulfill. What if God knows that deep down in the deepest part of our hearts, what we long for is to be loved, to be seen, to be heard, to be validated, to be dignified, to be lifted up, to be set right, to be made whole, to have all of the anxieties and fears all of a sudden come back in, out of your life and to have your own heart and soul be put into alignment again. What if God knows that the deepest ache of the human soul is to be put back in right relationship with God the Father? What if God knows that deep down inside the thing we need promised to us the most is actually the thing God has been preparing for us from the beginning? What if the thing you need promised to you the most is actually the thing God has been preparing for you and for me since the beginning? The Scriptures tell us that even before the foundations of the world, the Lamb of God was slain. Think of it. Think of it. That even before God made the heavens and the earth, Even before He spoke it into existence, He knew, look, I know how this is going to play out. 
I know that free will is going to take a turn. God's not improvising. God's prepared. And what He has prepared for us is salvation. Simeon says, My eyes have seen your salvation. Now maybe for some of you, salvation is a very thin word. A word that means something like heaven. Passage to heaven. And if that is your understanding of salvation, then in your times of deepest ache and deepest longing, for me to say to you that God has prepared salvation sounds hollow too. Because it sounds like I'm saying to you, oh, I'm sorry, that's really awful that that's what's going on, but hey, one day you'll fly away. Unless you capture the same imagination that the old poets in the Old Testament had. When Isaiah spoke of salvation, he spoke of God pulling his world back together. When the psalmist sang of God who would come to save, they sang of a God who would take everything that was out of joint and set it right again. This Hebrew idea of shalom is wholeness. Everything coming together and coming to life. Does that sound like what we're really longing for? I think it does. I think deep down inside, when we ache with the sorrow of the world, when we ache for the brokenness in our own lives, what we're saying is, God, what I need the most is to be put back together again. For the Creator God, the God who made the heavens and the earth, to also be the God who would step in it and faithfully put it all together again. And the marvelous mystery of Christmas is that that's exactly what Jesus came to do. That's exactly what the Incarnation speaks to us about. One of the great church fathers said in the early centuries, that which He did not assume, He does not heal. In other words, for Jesus to take on our human nature, it's such wonderful news because it means that everything Jesus took on is everything that He is healing and putting back together. See, friends, salvation is not the chance to escape your mortal bodies in this physical world. That sounds nice, but it's not really what we're longing for. Salvation is God saying, I've entered into your physical world, into your mortal body, so that everything that's broken and sick and wrong will now be healed. That is marvelous news. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of our hopes. Jesus is the great fulfillment of all of our hopes. Now you could take this in a Freudian sense, that everything that we're sort of hoping, we sort of project onto Jesus. And so Jesus comes to be a synonym for the good life, or the American dream, and the white picket fence, and the X amount of cars, and bedrooms in the house. And so Jesus comes to be a synonym for the good life, but that's not quite how this works. When I say Jesus is the fulfillment of all of our hopes, I mean for us to work through that backwards, to say, well, who is this Jesus, and what does He come to bring, and could it be that that is what you need and hope for the most? The challenge of the gospel is it makes us get honest about what we really need. It makes us be honest with ourselves about what we really are longing for. 
what we are really hoping to be promised. As long as we keep hoping for a promise of this or a promise of that or a promise of a happy sort of Norman Rockwell painting Christmas family dinner, as long as we keep hoping for this or that or this or that, we'll ignore the deepest longing in our hearts, which is for our whole lives to be set right with God. And the challenge of Christmas is to say, God indeed has come to save. But is it the salvation you will admit you need? Is it the salvation you will admit you need? And so maybe the question for us as we finish the sermon this evening is to say, do you see what Simeon sees? When you imagine in your heart and in your mind Jesus coming, what do you see? Do you see a sentimental Christmas card where we can say, Happy Birthday, Jesus? Or do we see the great saving King, the one Simeon called the Lord's Christ, Yahweh's chosen saving Messiah? Do we see the great King who came to save you? What do you see when you see Jesus? What do you see when you think of Christmas? Do you see what Simeon saw? My prayer for all of us this evening is that this Christmas, the Spirit of God would give us eyes again to see Jesus. And to see Jesus as the fulfillment of the deepest thing we've been longing for. And to say, God, I, I, I do pray for this and I do pray for that and I do pray for all of these things, but at the core, what I need the most is for my heart to be forgiven, my life to be set right with God, for a life that I could never have on my own to come into me and make it come alive. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared. Let's pray. Father, we pray this evening as we think of Christmas and we think of Your arrival, God, keep us from sentimentalizing this. Keep us from turning this into something sugary and sweet. But God, give us the grace to grasp the gravity of this. The weightiness of this. That God has come to be our saving King. And Lord, lead us to the place of repentance again. The most beautiful word we could embrace. Lead us to the place where we would say, yes, God, it is Your salvation that I need. It's not more of this or more of that. It's not an ideal or an illusion or an something else. But it is You. It is my heart being set right with God. It is that thing that I could never do for myself. It is that thing that I could never be by myself. Lord Jesus, be our saving King. Give us eyes so that like Simeon we can say, we have seen the salvation that you have prepared for us. In Christ's name, amen.